Hello and welcome to the NLCC Sermon Recap Podcast. On the podcast with me today is Tim. Hello. And I am Preston. And here in a moment, we're going to listen into the final message in the Yours is the Kingdom series. Uh, but first, I wanted to sit down with Tim and have a little bit of a conversation about it. Uh, before we get to that, if you are in the North Liberty area, we want to let you know about a diner drive-in that we're doing on June 6th. This is a free event where you and your family can come get some free diner food in your car um, and just hang out for the evening. It's from 5 to 7 on June 7th, 6th, June 6th. And... Uh, we're going to serve you, uh, and you're just going to have a good time. We're going to have some burgers, um, some sides, and uh, some root beer for you. So uh, come out, hang out with us, June 6th, 5 to 7. Now, this is the last message that we're doing in the Yours is the Kingdom series. So we've gone through the entire Lord's Prayer by now. Uh, Tim, of all of the phrases that we went through in the Lord's Prayer, which one do you think is the most important one for Christians to connect with? Well, personally, I think it would be this last part that Jesus talks about it, about us forgiving, um, allowing God to forgive us so that we can forgive those you know have, who have sinned against us. What do you think is, what do you think is on the line if we get that wrong? Well, even though the the Lord's prayers is very important, and, and I think you know it's that template that Jesus gives to, to all believers, uh, just such things that we would add into our prayers. For me, it's the last uh, the the two verses that come after that, verses 14 and 15, where Jesus says that if you forgive those who have sinned against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive, Mm -hmm. then our Father in heaven will not forgive us of our sins. And that's serious business because Mm -hmm. we know that the wages of sin is death. And if those sins aren't going to be forgiven, we're in a world of trouble. Mm -hmm. It's sometimes hard for us to see forgiveness as conditional because uh, we just we you know we're, we're always taught that it's given straight to us and it is freely uh, on a condition as well and that can be hard to hear but it's super important for us to hear too thanks for filling us in with some extra context for this message let's go ahead and listen in to the final message in the yours is the kingdom series before we begin this morning as you all know tomorrow is memorial day so i want to thank all those families out there that had a family member um, sacrificed their their lives for the freedoms that we get to enjoy in this country, and also, uh, most importantly, what Jamie was talking about in her prayer, that we give praise and glory for God giving up his son that we might have eternal life. So let's go ahead and just have a moment of, of silence uh, for that uh, those individuals. You know, the last couple of years, I've been on the regular habit of waking up between 2.30 and 3 o'clock in the morning with something on my mind. Uh, Someone told me years ago that those were God moments where he wanted to talk with you, and uh, so I would get up and uh, go into the living room, and I would grab a couple pillows off the couch, and that uh, blanket or afghan, uh, whatever Miss Terry calls it, it's usually on the couch, and, and I go to the center of our labor room where she had a throw rug down, and, and I would just kneel down and uh, just read uh, out of Psalms and maybe Proverbs here and there, and eventually I find my way list, trying to listen to God, and then I would find myself with my eyes uh, and my face in the pillow with the, the blanket over my head because uh, because you, you know as well as anybody that none of us are worthy to be in the presence of God because he's so holy. 
And so I would cover my head, and I would, I would also do that because I didn't want to wake Terry up when I had these audible uh, conversations with God, because I did speak out loud, and uh, I didn't want her to think I was in there going insane, because you never heard God you know, speak back audibly. So I'd cover over my head and just have those conversations. And then usually, uh, again, I would wait for God to speak to me. But, uh, and during those times, I would wait uh, uh, to hear from him to see if there's any unclean thing in my own heart. I would wait because it was always about my own heart and, and I will be, you know, think about something that, that was said or something I did that maybe didn't honor God, you know, that week and, and uh, many times it, it, a negative thought would come to my mind about something that was done to me or said to me. And, but let me be clear, it's never been about the person, ever. Um, but what was said, uh, I, I don't care how how about how, who said what and how it got to me, but what was said, which is extremely important. And since this is a common thing now in my life, uh, God waking me up at that time in the morning where there are no distractions in my life and I can just focus on that prayer time uh, to ask him to search again my own heart to see if there's anything unclean in there, usually he does point it out and I spend the rest of my time asking for uh, forgiveness and protection against my true enemy. And it's just simply conversation with God, one-on-one with God. And you don't want anybody else to hear it, just one-on-one. And, and, and church, my question is, how many times have you and I had conversations uh, sitting around with other people, family members, friends, and talking about certain personal interests, and that conversation slowly starts turning inward, bragging about how awesome you are and who you know? Because it happens a lot in our prayer time. But the reason we do that is because we want other people to be impressed with who we are. You work that conversation to where you want it to be. And it happens a lot of time in prayer. We quickly turn our prayers inward. Instead of talking about God anymore and what he's done, it's about what we want. And sometimes those conversations go south pretty quickly. Uh, They get nasty and slanderous and, and gossipy. You've taken the time to navigate you know, the other person into thinking that you're concerned about something or someone, but, that, but the intent was to really pull you into their camp pushing the other person down so they can feel better about themselves. And back in the early 90s, I met this lady that I gained a lot of respect for, but I also had some conflict because of her story. Now, my advice to her, understand my advice to her was predicated on the fact that she was telling me the truth because I didn't live in her home, but she came to me asking for uh, help because of some abusive behavior that was taking place in her home. And I, at the, because of what she was sharing, I simply told her, well, she should have called the police. And she said, no, well, why not? Because I love him. And I proceeded, well, you, you, you probably should divorce him because, because you have every right to do that. No, no, why? Because I love him. And I told her, well, maybe you need to get a restraining order. And no, no, why? Because I love him and I don't want to keep him from his kids because he, he is a good dad. And I understand that, that I, 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 don't, I do not believe that anyone should stay in a toxic, dangerous relationship like that. But I told her that if she wasn't going to do what the obvious was, that she needed to get serious marriage counseling. Well, do you know of anybody? And I gave her you know, some names. I, I just want to save my, my marriage because I know he's better than that, and, and I love him. And again, I, don't, I, I didn't understand the ins and outs of her reasoning. Uh, but I did know that she was pretty adamant about her love for him and that she was willing to forgive him to save her marriage. And I had a few meetings with this couple and told 
him what I thought about him, the way he treats his wife, and, and I, thought, I told her what she ought to do with a marriage, and, and that's to run and don't look back. And he tried to pull me into, you know, into his camp by saying, well, she doesn't, she doesn't, she doesn't. And I said, listen, I don't want to hear this crap. If what she is telling me is true, you have no reason, no right to be doing what, you, what you're doing. I don't think he ever had a man in his life tell him that he can't treat people like that, women like that, and, and, you know, especially his own wife. And I connected them with a Christian counselor, and they started going, and he even went to anger management, and they disappeared from sight for a while. In fact, they moved away. And then she called me back in the late 90s, and she told me that her husband and her were doing absolutely great. I had no proof of that, but she did say he became a Christian, and they got involved in a church, and they, had, they, they were using their experience to... to as a teaching tool for other people. Now, whether you agree with how she initially handled her circumstances, that was her call. But at least in this situation, no further harm ensued, but grace and mercy and forgiveness and reconciliation and agape love in God, they helped them overcome the abuse. I know for us on the outside of, of, his, of this wife's experience, her demonstration of forgiveness over such a serious issue doesn't make any sense to us. To this day, I still, it still blows my, my mind that she even stuck around, to be honest with you. But today, Jesus is encouraging us in this prayer here to have this as part of our talk with God, to forgive our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And so the Lord's Prayer is not an exact way that you're supposed to pray, that it, there's a law out there that says if you don't do what Jesus says here in, the, in, the, in, here in Matthew, that, that you're somehow a bad Christian. It's just simply a template uh, encouraging us to at least cover certain areas uh, of life in our prayer. And when you read this prayer, you know, if, if you pay attention to it, it starts about how we honor God, and then it talks about how we trust God, and then it moves in right into this particular section and how we treat one another. And we have to admit that Jesus gets in our face here because we all know what he's talking about. We, we, this goes through our minds all the time when he says, and forgive us our debts, our sins, as we forgive those that have uh, forgiven our debtors, those who have sinned against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I mean, why, why, does, why does Jesus basically force us to take a hard look at ourselves and look in that mirror, having to admit our own sins, and then he tells us we gotta forgive other people who've sinned against us? Well, if you have any kind of uh, relationship with a human being, you know that those relationships are extremely difficult and painful. We, we, we all do things that hurt people, and, and some of those times we don't mean to do it, and some of the times we mean to do it. But Jesus is reminding us that we also need forgiveness because none of us are without sin, right? 1 John 1, 9, or 1, 8 says, if you claim to be without sin, you are a liar. You see, sin, uh, uh, sin is what has brought about the separation between us and God. And if that sin is not forgiven for you or by you, your sins will not be forgiven either. We, we'll get to that in just a moment. Jesus goes from physical to spiritual. That's what he always does. Last week we saw how, he, how, how Jesus met the crowd's knees by giving them that bread and fish, but they were more focused on the miracle of that full stomach uh, provided by the bread than, than Jesus, uh, because Jesus wanted them to be focused on who he was as the bread of life, that he was able to satisfy them well beyond a stomach full of uh, food here. 
And even though Jesus met a lot of physical needs, he always, he always used those encounters to bring about spiritual truth that will have a lasting impact on everybody in, uh, involved here. And actually, it didn't matter where the food came from, but how the bread was going to nourish the body. And Jesus tells them who he was there in John chapter 6, starting in verse 7, 47. Verily, truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. And here it is. I am the bread of life. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. You see, true life giving bread is Jesus. And so we need to be nourishing ourselves on the living word of God, which is Jesus. And so today we focus, uh, Jesus gets us focusing on an area that is very personal and very hard to deal with. Because to do so, we have to admit that we're much, just as much of a sinner as the next person. I mean, do you remember what James, the brother of Jesus, said in his letter? If you've broken one law, even one bit of the one law, you have become guilty of breaking them all. In other words, if you are angry and bitter about how someone had, what someone has done to you, then your anger and your bitterness is just as bad, if not worse, than the person you're bitter at or unwilling to forgive. It's sin. And you don't get a pass if you don't give the other person a pass. We don't, we don't get to be judge, juror, and executioner of anyone. That's God's space, not ours. And if you decide to become all that, then you are sinning according to the word of God. And so how can any of us point the finger at others like we do? It's, it's always this. What was it that Jesus said? He who is without sin casts the first stone. And the sad thing is that too many Christians, too many Christian people are willing to cast that stone without even thinking twice. We learn from Paul's letter in Ephesians that our enemies are not flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of darkness, Satan himself. But for some reason, we think that we can ignore that part of his letter. And more importantly, Jesus' instructions here in, in the Lord's Prayer, especially his warning in verses 14 and 15. And that's where we're really going to spend most of our time today. Because we spend too much time focusing on how someone has pained us that we ignore God's instructions here to forgive. We want other people to forgive us, but we don't want to forgive others. Interesting in light of what Jesus says there in verse 14 and 15. And so what would the church look like if those of, uh, those of us who, are call, who call ourselves of Christ followers forgave others and, and, and those who, who sinned against us for, forgave us? Or we forgave them. I mean, that we actually practice what Jesus said here. How, how would that impact our homes, our communities, our world, our church? And if you know anything about Jesus and his mission from God, it all began in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And that's usually where we stop. But verse 17 goes on to say, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And then it all culminates with his death, burial, and resurrection in 1 Peter chapter 3 where Peter says, for Christ died for, for sins once for all. But why would Jesus even bring up the sin issue? I mean, with everything he just got done talking in the prayer, why the sin issue? Well, it's a pretty serious thing with him. He knows that sin separates us from God. And at the heart of God and Jesus, they're trying to provide a way back for us, but we have to understand what sin does. Because if you don't understand what sin does, you're not going to get it. You can read through the scriptures and any commentary. It's pretty simple that sin separates us from God. Somebody has to pay the penalty of that sin. 
Now, some of your versions might say, uh, forgive us our sins, our debts, our trespasses. I use the NIV, uh, so mine says uh, debts, but the best word is sin. Because sin means, you know, to miss the mark. And we've totally missed the landing here from where God wants us to be. But you know as well as I do that there are some sins that we are aware of and some that we are unfamiliar with, and that's because we do not get into the word of God, and so we don't know. We're not paying attention. Now, the word trespass is kind of a weak, uh, as one theologian would say, when you trespass, you break into an area where you do not belong. Because it's always possible to walk into an area that you are unaware that you're not allowed to be in there, but guess what? You're still trespassing. And so the word sin and debt both mean a failure somewhere. And the word debt uh, lets you know that somebody owes something to somebody, and if that debt isn't paid, that's not good. It's wrong. And the word sin, well, even the non-believing world understands what that means, some kind of moral failure. But no matter how you look at it, God's word says that a debt has to be paid. And so when you have that one-on-one conversation with God and you're praying and you're sitting in your closet, whatever you might be doing, and you close that door, whatever, you're asking him not, not to hold your sin against you, and then you're not supposed to hold that sin against somebody else. That's what he teaches and if you know anything about the crucifixion of Jesus, his last words were what on, what on the cross? What did he say? It is finished. It is accomplished. What he is saying is that his sacrifice paid off the sin debt, our sin debt. That is why in the Lord's Prayer, we remind ourselves that if God forgave our sins that we've committed against him and other people, then we should be gracious enough to forgive those that have sinned against us because of the cross. And that's why Jesus said what he said in verses 14 and 15. That is such an important part of redemption. Because if you can't show grace and mercy towards others, then the sacrifice of Jesus in in your life means nothing. Hebrews 10, 26 says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. No sacrifice for sin. Jesus' sacrifice meant nothing if you can't do what he asked you to do here. But he goes on to say, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire. And he also says in in the gospel, show no mercy, receive no mercy. The way you judge is the way you're gonna be judged. You don't wanna forgive, then you won't be forgiven. It is so interesting to watch and listen how Christians respond to this. We, we know the ultimate sacrifice it cost God and Jesus, but we still kind of hang on tight uh, to the ways that other people have sinned against us. We don't know how to let it go. We become angry and resentful and bitter and vengeful and hateful. I mean, does anyone know what God calls those in the Bible? Sin. And even knowing that, uh, we, we still try to justify because we've been hurt. But it didn't cost you your life, did it? It cost Jesus his. And that's why uh, he encouraged us to always be aware that there was a debt that needed to be paid and it came through Jesus Christ. He's saying also here that it's okay to bring those things to God. Bring them to God. 
ask directly and openly uh, to forgive your, for him to forgive your own sins as you forgive other people's sins. And the word forgive here simply means to, to wipe the slate clean, to pardon, to cancel a debt. You can look that up. It says it right there from the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He, always, uh, he was always up front on what sin has done in our relationship with God. And he's always offering something better than the penalty of that sin. And what is that? We know, we, I mean, for crying out loud, it's grace. It's forgiveness, it's eternal life, salvation to those who call on the name of Jesus. That's what Paul teaches in Romans chapter 10. Everyone who calls on the name of Jesus, the name of the Lord will be saved. But why do so many people ignore this? The biblical answer is pride. Pride gets in the way. We can't seem to get past ourselves and and, and our own self-righteousness to ask God to forgive us when we've sinned, let alone forgiving other people. That's because that's what we've always been taught. You don't have to worry about anything else. But Isaiah talks about this. Peter talks about this, that we get in our own own way. For you were like sheep going astray. You were doing your own thing. And when we sin, we've decided that we're going to do what we want to do, not what God wants us to do. And Jesus encourages us in this prayer to ask God for forgiveness for that. Because if we want that from God, then we have to do the same for others. And I think it's very important that we be honest with God with all of it, right? I mean, he already knows. But again, it's just that private conversation. Just like me getting on my knees at 3.30 in the morning, I'm exhausted. Like, really, you have, to, you have to wake me up now? But when God comes to calling, you better answer, no matter what time it is. But I'm pretty sure that everyone in worship with us today, whether you're here in person or online, has sin in their life, Right? Anyone in here without sin? Let me see a show of hands. Anybody in this room without sin? Raise your hand. Not one hand. No one. I've always been taught that when you're pointing a finger at someone else, you've got three pointing back at you. It's a good rule to live by. It kind of keeps this self-righteous pride in check if we're going to be honest about ourselves. And I can't stress enough what, what Jesus says here, forgive us of our sins as we also have forgiven the sins of others against us. Now my, my sister's here for this service, so she can attest to this. Uh, my parents, our parents, uh, when we did something wrong to each other or even them, they, they would make us apologize, but we had to explain why. Yet Tell each other why, you know. Oh, I'm sorry I threw your, your hung out your G.I. Joe out of the second story window. That's what they did to my G.I. Joes. Don't mess with my G.I. Joes. And so in turn, I would take their Barbie dolls and I would throw them up across the power lines and it would spin around and never to be played with again. There's no way you're going to get those. And even after, after Terry and I got married, this was in the mid-80s or whatever, <laughs> I went back to, to where I used to do this and there were still some heads up on the power lines. And we're talking years later, like, wow. I'm sorry, Tina, I locked you in a closet every time you made me mad. And I did that all the time. I'd kind of get her into the closet and say, we're going to play, you know, Barbie dolls and G.I. Joes or read comic books and whatnot. And she gets in there and I jump out and shut the door. And I didn't never locked it because she couldn't open it because the door was swollen all the time. You just couldn't open the door. And she was stuck in there. And I'm in my room playing, loving every minute of it. I'm sorry, you know, I put, uh, wrote, uh, colored a, a mustache on all your, your pictures. 
I did that, oh, my parents were ticked. It was a permanent marker on every one of Tina's pictures. There was a mustache. I think it was because she threw my G.I. Joe's out the second story window. I, I'm sorry I mouthed off to you, Mom. I never had to worry about that one. That was my sister's deal. They always mouthed off to my mom. But, but that was serious stuff with my dad. And, and worse, the worst of it is, if we disrespected my mom, it didn't matter if we said we were sorry. My dad dealt with it. And he would always say, she was my wife before she was your mom. Don't you disrespect my wife. And he dealt with it. There was no mercy or grace in that one. And you think about it, by asking God to, to, to forgive our sins up front, in, in that alone, we are admitting to him that we have them, right? We all have them. And asking for forgiveness is acknowledging and, and repenting of that. We're asking God to transform us so that we have the spirit to forgive other people. Another Truth here is sin separates us from one another. I think we all know that. You hurt somebody, they don't want anything to do with you. And that's why Jesus said, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. We know how this works. We know how this works. In order to forgive, we have to acknowledge our own. And people, we have, uh, people who have a hard time forgiving apparently think that they don't have any sin. But again, John teaches us uh, anyone who says he has no sin is a liar. But then the very next verse says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, there is something interesting in there that we overlook. Because look at, look at the wording again. It says, forgive us our sins as we also have forgiven Something that's ongoing or it's already happened. Those who have sinned against us. Now, I, I, I really couldn't find a good answer for that, but I, I, maybe Jesus is just assuming that we already are actively forgiving so that we can be forgiven. That's just what you do in Jesus Christ, right? And, and if you are not, it's a betrayal of our identity as God's children. You cannot ask God to forgive you if you continue to carry a spirit of animosity and bitterness towards other people. And if we want to be in godly communication or a community with one another, then we have to forgive those that have hurt us because there is a lot of, of that in our relationships. And if we can't learn to forgive, there's nobody going to have any relationship with anybody. So stop kidding yourself and stop acting like you're God's gift of perfection. You see, Charles Spurgeon, an old-time preacher, said this, go to Calvary to learn how you may be forgiven and then linger there to learn how to forgive. And maybe the church needs to spend more time at the foot of the cross so we're reminded of who we actually are. Webster defines forgiveness this way, to cease to feel resentment against or an offender, pardon or forgive one's enemies, to forgive an assault or insult, to grant relief from payment of a debt. And then there's another good one. Forgiveness is the act of setting someone free. You see, Jesus said that we will only be forgiven if we, on the same level that we forgive other people. And, and, and actually, that's forgiveness, setting someone free. I mean, that's just good. That's what Jesus did for us, right? He set us free. The scriptures are all about that. How, how many of you out there, whether you're here or even online, want people to forgive you when you need it? How, let's see a show of hands. If you've ever sinned, how many, how many of you want people to forgive you when you sin? Okay, every hand goes up. Then why is it so hard for us to forgive other people when they need it? 
Why are we so determined to make others pay for hurting us? Why do we have conditions when we forgive but don't want the same standard applied to us? I have a preacher friend that will not forgive anyone unless that person comes to him face to face and tells them that asks for forgiveness and then he forces them to go through a bunch of hoops in order to prove that they are truly repentant. And yet Jesus says, forgive my sin as I have forgiven those who have sinned against me. It's pretty simple what Jesus says versus what my friend does. I'm being completely honest here. I don't have a problem with forgiving. I, I don't. But there have been things done to me, said, uh, said to me, said about me, and I have no problem forgiving. And, and I find it, I really actually find it easy to forgive people. Sure, I get upset and, and hurt by something, but once I allow the Lord to, to settle me down, I'm done with it. Let's move on. It's time to start honoring God and, and his grace in my life and our lives and give him credit for everything and start sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where the church needs to be focused. But we get so wrapped up in how people have hurt us. But why, why is it easy for me? I, I guess it's because uh, I, I try to be a little more sensitive to what God has taught me through Jesus, right? That, that Jesus and God, they have shown me a ton of grace and mercy and forgiveness in my life because as Paul would say, I'm the worst of all sinners. And so I want, I, I want him to forgive me if I want him to forgive me, then I better not be slow in forgiving others when they have hurt me. But I was also able to see uh, firsthand what forgiveness did in my dad's life. And I'm telling you, I saw it all growing up with the drugs and the alcohol and the black market stuff. And my dad going UFC on anyone who got in his way. He was fearless. He was a violent man, not to his family, before he came back to the Lord. And once he did, everything in our world was turned right side up. The Lord, the church, the people who, who worked with him, who knew him, uh, saw the change and they forgave and they embraced and they reconciled. And it was a remarkable thing to see a, you know, 11 year old kid experience this kind of stuff. And here's a tangible reminder of God's grace. We found this after my dad died. Private pleas astray upon my death. Everything concerning my parole from the early 60s and 70s. And this to me is just a simple reminder of what my dad used to be like before he came to the Lord and the grace that was shown him. And, 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 and again, that I, I just refuse to forgive anyone. And they don't even have to ask for forgiveness, but it's always a nice thing, right? But that's just a constant reminder of where I came from in my life. Because by not forgiving, I would give that person or that situation or Satan himself control in my life. I would allow him to be renting space in my head and it would destroy you. Because I'm telling you, church, I'm telling you, it will ruin you. It will steal, kill, and destroy uh, what God has been in trying to invest in your life or already has invested in your life. And so it's not difficult for me to do that. Because I don't forget where I came from. And here's why. I, I've been I've already brought attention to verse 14 and 15 after the Lord's Prayer. He's turning up the pressure here, uh, making it uh, very, very personal and frightening. Look what he says in verse 14. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you also. Woo, thank you, Jesus. We all like that one. We love that. But go on. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's harsh. That's scary. 
What is the wages of sin called in the Bible? Death. The wages of sin is death. And we're not talking about physical death. We're talking about spiritual death here. You're, you're separating yourself from God, and that's a scary place to be. And I mean, I, I, I take this stuff serious. Now, don't misunderstand me. I, I don't always want to or like to forgive. I'm like, really, God? You really have to have that in there? But what do you think uh, God would say to you if you said, really, do I have to forgive? Oh, no. I just sent my son to the cross for no reason, no big deal. Do whatever you want. The, the real answer to that would be, yes, you need to forgive. If, if, if we do not forgive others, God will not forgive us, and that's pretty clear. You see, our unwillingness to forgive people uh, who have hurt us is evidence that God's forgiveness in your life doesn't mean a hill of beans to you. I know, you know some people are going to be offended, upset by me saying that God's not going to forgive your sins if you don't forgive somebody else's because you know, God's a God of grace and, and mercy and, and love and forgiveness. And yes, he is. He's all of that. But did you notice who said it? It wasn't the church. It wasn't Tim Stewart. Who said it? Jesus said it. That came from the mouth of our Lord and Savior. The way we forgive or not forgive other people is how God is going to forgive us. And that's a sobering thought. Matthew chapter 7. Now, just because you forgive someone doesn't mean you have to be bosom buddies with them. Hey, let's have a cookout next week. I, I'm not telling you to do that. I don't think God's asked you to do that. But you've got to forgive. You've got to let it go. And I, I know this is, serious, this is a serious matter. I know, uh, you know forgiving uh, comes easier for other people. I know it's difficult to think about uh, forgiving people when they have hurt your family deeply. I get all that. I'm not oblivious to it, and neither is God. Our family has experienced uh, a lot of intense pain and loss because of the sin in the per per uh, perpetrator's life. And the, I, I, I can mention dozens of things. I can mention things that have happened to me as a kid, but I've chosen to forgive and, and my li live my life for Jesus Christ and use my experience to honor him. I, I, learned that from the, from, that I learned that from my grandparents, my parents, and from the word of God, most importantly. It's not easy, but we're supposed to. And the more you do it, the better you get at it, and the easier it becomes, and the freer you feel. I, I'm not trying to minimize any pain that you've experienced. I, I get forgiveness takes time, more time for others. I get all that. But my question to you then would be, when are you going to get started? After the person dies? And then you've never, you're never going to be able to say that to, them, to their face verbally? You'll have to go to the cemetery? Say, I'm sorry? How about doing it while they're still alive? If it's true that forgiveness is an act of setting one free, the question then becomes, who do you need to set free? If you want to be set free, maybe God is waiting for you to set someone free. That's a sobering thought as well. Because holding on to whatever uh, it is will not help you in any way, and it's not going to be pleasant for those who do life with you. Um, um, Nelson Mandela said this. It's kind of interesting. Resentment is like drinking poison and then waiting for your enemy to die. You see, getting even for the wrongs that have been done to assure it's gonna feel good in a moment, uh, but eventually it will destroy your spirit and ruin you in a long run and, have, and damage those around you. 
And that's why it's so important to understand what Paul says in his letter in Romans, where he writes, do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful not to do, or be careful to do what is right in everyone, uh, in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but have, leave room for God, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Sometimes God does it better than we could ever think about it. But on the, on, on the contrary, he says, if your enemy is hungry, what? Feed him. If he is thirsty, what? Give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on their head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I mean, God, let, let God take care of, of it however he decides in his time. Don't try to return insult for uncertain pain, uh, pain for pain. That's not healthy. I know, again, it might feel good in the moment. Because I could call out names right now of Christian people I know that if you really dig deep in their life, they are so unhealthy, unhappy people because they are allowing their hurts to damage them even further along with having collateral damage. And so church, instead of seeking revenge, as Paul mentions here in this passage here, give it to God because if you can't forgive, God's not going to forgive you. And that's a pretty rough pill to swallow here, but he's not playing any games. You see, church, the evil one, uh, Satan, is, is, he's very cunning. The scripture teaches us that. He will use our feelings about people that have sinned against us in some ugly fashion. And sometimes, and that emphasis on the sometimes is mine, the way we react uh, with our forgiveness is worse than what was done to us. Again, that's sometimes, okay? God has told us to forgive for good reason. He wants us to be healthy in, in mind, body, and soul. And if we don't forget... Or forgive, God calls that sin. And so we have to be on our guard all the time because if we're not paying attention, the, the evil one will lead you down a path of self-destruction and then that's on you. Not God, not the church, nobody else. Not the person who hurt you. It's on you for deciding to live that way. And that's why Jesus gives us an example of how we can conclude our prayers. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He's simply encouraging us to ask God for strength when it comes to temptations that all humans face. And the word here for temptation could also be testing, okay? And it's the same word of what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, in that God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can, ha what you can handle, what you can bear. That he's going to provide a way of escape. And we always seem to leave out the tempted part with that. God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But he always provides a way out. Not only does Jesus let us know that we will be tempted in some fashion, uh, he will bring, uh, he's also bringing to light uh, the reality of uh, our real enemy that he wants to kill, steal, and destroy the evil one, Satan himself. Because the evil one tries to do that through our, uh, the temptations that we face on a daily basis and tricking us into living, and, and, uh, living in and through our past failures and unforgiveness. That's how he controls us. And that's how he destroys the church from within. Now, many people think that because you are being tempted that that happens to be the sin. And I think most of you understand that the temptation is not the sin. The temptation becomes a sin when you fall prey, when you fall into it, when you act upon those temptations. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says that God provides a way of escape, though. And the Hebrew writer even says this of Jesus in Hebrews 4.15. We do not have a high priest referring to Jesus who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. Jesus has been tempted, just like you and I have been, but he didn't give in to it. 
and that's what makes him sinless. And that is why we can go to the Father and we can ask him to forgive our sins, to give us the spirit, to forgive our sins against us, and to deliver us from the control of the evil one. God, according to David, and a lot of his psalms says, God is our rock, he's our fortress, he is our deliverer. So why don't we believe that? Why don't we hang on to it? But back to the, the couple at the start that I opened with, I honestly wanted to slap this guy crazy for abusing his wife. I, I, I did. I, want, I, wanted, I wanted to give him a little taste of himself. I had other things on my mind as well, but I'm not going to share them because I don't want you to think I'm a crazy person. And even though all those things were running through my mind, one cannot escape the fact that God has told us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. That's tough enough, let alone having to forgive. But God tells us to love people. Would I have set a Christ-like example if I would have knocked that guy out of my office? But when she called back in the late 90s to share how God has changed him, I was somewhat, you know, set back and surprised, but then I remembered that nothing is impossible with God. And I thanked her for the phone call, for giving me an update on all this. I told her I'd be praying for them, that God would continue to bring peace and joy in their life and their marriage, and they would continue using their story as a testimony for other uh, individuals out there who act like idiots. And according, to, and, and as far as I'm concerned, should be dealt with severely. I, I'm thinking that, that if God didn't constantly remind me of his word, how would I have finished those counseling, just those few counseling times I had with that couple? You see, I'm supposed to love and forgive others when I don't feel like doing any of it. But if you look in the mirror and you compare yourself to God and what he's done for us, are any of us worthy of forgiveness? We're not. But you do not forgive, if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. In church, I'm not good in grammar and English and all that other stuff, but there's no qualifier in there. If we want the peace that passes understanding, if we don't want our past sins to control or destroy us, then we learn to forgive. We forgive as Christ forgave. And maybe you're thinking of someone right now regarding this issue. And so please, if you are, if there's somebody in your head, whether you're the one guilty or they are, don't quench the spirit. He's trying to provide a way of escape for you to get out of that mess. So forgive, allow God to free you so that you have the power to free someone else. And lastly, some of your versions will have that phrase, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. That's just a simple you know, recognition that God and Jesus will have victory and they are alone, they are alone, they alone are worthy of our honor and our praise. Thanks for listening in and participating in this message with us this week. If you do want to talk to any of our staff or if you want to find out more about what forgiveness looks like in your specific context. We would love to have that conversation with you. Uh, call us or go to our website and hit that connect with us button so that we can uh, just get in contact with you. We look forward to doing this again with you next week.